Veritas Mizzou podcast. Veritas is the college ministry of The Crossing, a church in Columbia, Missouri. Our greatest hope is to see more and more college students believe that Jesus is more. To get connected, check out our weekly meeting on Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. on Mizzou's campus. For specific details about where we meet, how to join a small group, or more information about Veritas, visit us online at veritasmizzou.com. To stay in the loop with what we're up to, follow Veritas Mizzou on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you're encouraged by this message. Y'all all right tonight, man? Everybody, ah, not too good, huh? All right. <laughs> I can't even, well, first of all, I can't lie. Um, before I went back in the control room and could actually see what was going on here on stage and I heard the worship team, I was thinking, oh man, those Sunday morning worship dudes better watch their back because uh, they were bringing it. And then I looked, went in there and I saw, and I saw Kate and I was like, ah, that's it, that's it. I got it, I got it. Um, I want to tell you guys that um, I, he mentioned that I had been with crew and athletes in action and a lot of what I did was with college students back then. We would go and play their university teams and at halftime, instead of going into the locker room, we would get a chance to share the gospel with everybody in attendance. It was really dope. Changed my life. After Athletes in Action, Lisa and I started having kids. We had um, eight kids total. Um, I got into music. And I was doing that while I was with Athletes in Action. I, I, um, we were based in Cincinnati. And so I lived in inner city Cincinnati. And I, you, guys were, you guys weren't even born yet, I don't think, but <clears throat> they had, <clears throat> sorry, race riots there in Cincinnati back then. And that's where Lisa and I lived. And um, my, as a result of my work there with young, mainly African-American guys, uh, the high school that I was really tightly connected with, five out of every 100 guys would end up graduating from high school. And the rest of them, I mean, like there's guys I knew from back then. Some of them made it through to adulthood and they have families, but a lot of them are dead now or in prison. It was a really, really rough area. But I'm saying that to say that the problem I saw with those guys was reading comprehension. And so I got into music. I started writing and, you know, we were doing Bible studies and You know, they could read the words on the page, but they couldn't tell me what it was saying. So I started putting what we were talking about and trying to teach them just into rap music. We all liked rap music, and they knew everything. They knew all the words, the context, what guys were talking about. And so that's how I got into the musical side of things. And I transitioned. It grew so big, I I transitioned from Athletes in Action to Keynote, which is the music part of Campus Crusade. And God blessed me, man, to be able to travel all around this, this world doing music doing shows and clubs and bars and uh, churches too, university campuses. You know, it was, it was a very, very cool, cool experience. And <clears throat> back then, 20 years ago, I looked very different from what, the way I look right now. Um, I was about 40 pounds heavier. Uh, I had dreadlocks down to here. I had a long beard about to right here. I wore earrings. And uh, yeah, just just had that look of a hardcore, you know, a hardcore artist. Even though I wasn't, I wasn't hardcore, <laughs> you know. But you know, I wonder 
thinking back on that time, you know, let's say you, young lady, if you heard a knock on your door one night about 10, 30, 11 o'clock, you look out the peephole, you see a dude that looked like what I described standing there looking at, looking at you like this. Would you have let me in, you think? Yeah, probably not. Probably not. Why not? Well, yeah, you're female. That does help. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 10, 30, 11, like, yeah, it is pretty late. Don't lie. That's not late for y'all. Y'all are college students. I know <laughs> that's not late. But, um, yeah, man, she wouldn't have let me in because she didn't know me. She didn't know what my, she wouldn't know what my intentions were. She wouldn't know how that whole little interaction was going to turn out. It was based on the fact, just based on the fact that she didn't know me. Jesus ran into that same sort of scenario. Well, first, let me ask you guys this. How many of you in here are believers and you believe in Christ and you believe that you are going to be with God once your time on this earth is over? Yeah, I would raise my hand high too, man. So Jesus has something real interesting to say about that. You can go ahead and put up that Matthew 7 uh, slide. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. This is a game changer for me, man. Game changer. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, but didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we, didn't we drive out demons in your name? Derve out. We derved out demons in your name. No. We drive out demons in your name and do many miracles in your name. And then... Then Jesus is going to drop the bomb on him. He's going to say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. Where I grew up, we went to church all the time. And so I learned all these stats about Jesus. I knew where he was from. I knew when, well, about when he was born. We don't know exactly, but about maybe when he was born and uh, what his life was like and what he did and how he lived, how he died, you know, <clears throat> all this stuff. And I thought, because I knew all that stuff, I was good with God. Me and God, good. We tight, you know. I thought that was, I thought that was, that was my reality. And then I read this, this scripture, man, where Jesus said that a lot of people who think they are good with him are not. He puts a premium on knowing him. He knows us. When he says, I never knew you, it's kind of like with her. She wasn't going to let me in because she didn't know how that whole interaction would turn out. And I think sometimes we have a tough time trusting God with our lives 100% because we don't know how it's going to turn out, man. We don't know what he's going to have us do. We don't know the changes he's going to ask us to make. And so, you know, we might let him get a toe in. We might even let him into the front door, but he got to stay right there. Jesus wants the run of the whole house. He wants to truly be our Lord. But we have a hard time trusting him because we don't know all that he knows. And in the past, ancient times, you can go ahead and put the next, the next slide up, Hebrews. 
The Bible says that God spoke to our forefathers. God spoke to our forefathers. God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. God spoke in the past. And in the last days, God spoke. God is constantly speaking. But because we don't know him, because we haven't let him in, sometimes when he's speaking, we don't recognize it. And we just keep going on about our business. Sometimes we have too many other voices going on in our lives that keep us from hearing the voice of God and hearing what he has for us. But the point I'm wanting to make here is God speaks, God spoke, and God speaks today. The second point I'm wanting to make is that, where was it? Yep, Jesus, his son, God made the universe through him. So we could travel 10 billion miles, 10 billion light years in either direction from this spot. Whatever you find there, Jesus can tell you everything there is to know about it, whether it's a planet, a star, a quasar, just empty space, whatever it is, he knows about it. You come back, and the way that video went down into that girl, all the way down to the DNA level, the sub-DNA level, level, I can talk, the sub-DNA level, Jesus knows everything there is to know about that universe too, the universe inside of us and the universe outside of us. Everything, there is not one thing in all of existence that, does, that Jesus does not possess knowledge about, complete knowledge about. In fact, Psalm says it like this, Psalm 147.5, he says, great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. So now let me ask you a question. If it's true that he can tell us, or that maybe he won't tell us, but he knows everything there is to know about everything in this universe and inside us, why is it so hard for us to trust what he says? The thing I'm learning about God as I get older and do lots of reading and thinking and there's praying and writing is that God is big time, big time into human flourishing, human flourishing. He is into human beings thriving and being everything that he made them to be, totally maximizing everything that he put in them in the way of gifts and dreams and visions and all that stuff. He put us here to rule this planet and reign and make it more than what it was originally. And to a large degree, we've done a great job with that. We've done a great job with that. I mean, when those original people, when he first created them, all, everything, all the, everything we needed, to create an iPhone was already there. 
It's just that over the years, we grew in knowledge, and that's what he wanted. He wanted us to grow. We are image bearers, and he wants us to create. He wants us to rule, but he wants us to do it under his lordship. And that's a lot of the problems that we run into today. There's not a ton of creating sometimes that's done to bring glory to God, right? So God spoke to us in the past, and he spoke to us about uh, through the prophets, through his prophets, and um, he's speaking to us today through his son, the scripture says. He said through his son in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, he says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they'll be satisfied. I think because he knows what he knows, think about this. He understands the environment and the situations that would cause us to flourish. I think when he tells us, blessed are those who mourn, they'll be comforted. Blessed are the pure in heart, they'll see, they'll see God. Blessed are the meek, for they'll inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. I think he's, he's given us a glimpse into reality. He's given us a glimpse into reality and given us a choice as to whether or not we're going to believe him. And here's what happens, man. When you dare to believe God, when you dare to believe his truth, it opens up all the possibilities of God in your life. So I talked a little bit about where I grew up. I also, you know, grew up in a situation where uh, I just didn't see examples of men who were faithful to their wives or to their, to, their, to their girlfriends. I had uncles who ran through women like crazy. They were good-looking dudes, very charismatic. <clears throat> My mom and dad divorced when I was eight years old, and I found out years later that I... I have a sister, we're the same age. <laughs> I have a, a half-brother who's, you know, a couple years older than me. Um, <clears throat> and I got some younger brothers, too. So as a result of growing up that way and never having seen it, I didn't think that it was possible for a man to be with one woman for his whole life. It just didn't make sense, especially when I went to college. And y'all know how college is. And, you know, I played ball in college, and you know how athletes are in college. And girls around athletes, that whole scene, telling you nothing's new under the sun, man. And um, that had me think, it just, it, it can't work. It can't work. And why would I want to do it? Why would I want to be with just one woman? That was a result of me, what I saw and voices that I heard that told me what a man was. Then I got real with God, and I started to believe his truth. And slowly and surely, I understood that the stuff I was doing, while it might have been cool, I might have thought it was cool, my teammates might have thought it was cool, it was destroying me. It was 100% destroying me, man. And what I thought I was getting by doing that, I was destroying it. What I, what I thought, I, what, I, what we all want, what do we want? We want love. We want intimacy. We want security. We want all those things, and God wants us to have those things, but there's a way that we have to go about it. 
And when we don't, when we go out on our own, when we, trust, when we don't trust in him with all our heart, but we trust in our mind, our feelings, our own understanding, we don't acknowledge him in all his ways, then he doesn't direct our path. And we end up sometimes in places where we never thought we would end up in. I hooked up with athletes in action. Got around a bunch of dudes, man, who love God. And here's the thing. They weren't. These were ex-NBA guys. Good-looking dudes. Wins- just funny. My best friend to this day. Still, I met him in athletes in action. And I saw him with his wife and his three daughters. And I lived with them for three months. And I saw them up close. Everything I wanted, I saw in his life. When we start to believe God's truth, man, it changes us. We start to transform. We start to, we just, we do, we change. And we see life differently. So I cleaned, I cleaned up my life and stopped doing some of the stuff that I was doing. And then three years later, I met the woman that I would end up marrying. And I'm, I'm going to just tell you this. And I mean, I know we're in church and I ain't going to be, it's, it's not going to be all graphic and stuff, but um, I'm just telling you, doing it God's way is way better, man. I don't know what you've experienced. I don't know. And I'm not judging, totally not judging. But the dude who knows everything about everything 100 billion light years away knows what will make us happy. And what did he say in that, in, in that verse, in that Matthew, Matthew 5 verse we just read? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. That's one small area of my life where I have seen this truth is true, man. This truth is true. How do you know if you trust truth? What do you think? Anybody can just shout it out. I don't care. How do you know whether or not you trust the truth? You know by whether or not you do it. I didn't trust the truth when it came to females when I was in college and some after college. But when I started trusting that truth and I started doing it, I quit, I quit sleeping around. And that happened before I met my wife, about three years. So I was clean in that regard for, for, for at least three years, man. And then I met this woman who just, That's all I can say. We've been married 28 years now. And even though I used to do shows in clubs, I mean, I did shows in Eastern Europe, Bulgaria. I went there by myself doing shows. Nothing has, uh, nothing has ever even, I've never even come close to an inappropriate situation with a woman. And I ain't saying that because I'm the man. I'm saying that because God's truth will change you, man. You just have to believe it. You have to let him in. You got to let him in and you got to trust him. 
You got to, it's got to not matter to you. You got to believe that his plan for you is better than anything you could cook up for yourself. In fact, in Jeremiah, he says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. That's exactly what Jesus has done for me, giving me a hope and a future, man. I have this family that I don't deserve. simply because I trusted him. And I couldn't see how it was going to turn out. Dude, I'm from Mississippi, which is one of the, I can't even tell you about the races in Mississippi, man. It's like they stewed that junk to perfection in Mississippi. I mean, it's just like, that racism there, man. I'm telling you. And so my wife is white. Right, and um, I am not going to lie to you. The first time I took her home, and we were walking, I don't can't remember if it was in the mall. It was in the mall, the mall, one mall in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. And we were walking, and she reached out to hold my hand, man, and I, I, I wouldn't do it simply because of what had happened growing up there, stories I had heard, things I had witnessed. She was cool. She rolled with it. I explained to her, and she was good. But um, I want to talk to you. Whoa, I want to talk to you a second about uh, just for a second with what time I have left is uh, I want to talk to you about um, cravings. How do how do you make yourself crave righteousness the way it says? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be sad. They will be satisfied. That word blessed, just let's back up a little. That word blessed means happy. It means a situ- your situation in your life causes you joy. It causes you to rejoice. Some people would look at you and say, man, that's a fortunate person there because of their life circumstances. That's what blessed means. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Those are twin words. Those two words in their original language basically together means strong desire, craving. The implication is you're craving something that you lack, something you don't have. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Righteousness is simply God's right way of doing things. Doing things his way. And then he says, you'll be satisfied. What that means is the word satisfied just means you'll be content. You'll be content with who you are. You'll be content with how you look. You'll be content with what you have. You'll be content in this life. And that doesn't mean that you just sit back and take it. God wants us to grow the talents that he's put in us. He put it in you to make a living, to glorify him and to bless your fellow man. So he wants those three things to take place. I know people, especially now that, you know, I have sons that are in the NBA. I know multimillionaires who are so unhappy, so unhappy. I was talking with um, the president 
of basketball operations for the Denver Nuggets. And he was telling me that Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA, had commissioned a study. And what they, <laughs> what they found out through this study is that 80% of NBA players are depressed. They're unhappy. They got everything about it. Think about what these dudes have now. They got all the money in the world. People know who they are. People are catering to them all the time. They're famous. Everything that we think we want, the things that we think will make us happy, they got. Most of them are depressed and lonely and sad. Remember, the dude who knows everything about everything knows what will make us happy because he made us. He knows exactly what it will take for you to thrive in your life. And he's into it. He's down for that happening. But you got a hunger and thirst for righteousness. You got a hunger and thirst for his way of doing things. So how do you do that? How do you make yourself hunger and thirst? How do you create these cravings for God? There was a University of Tennessee professor. He spent 12 years researching the effects of media on how people think. See, I'm going to tell you the answer beforehand. It's all about mindset. It's all about what you're putting in your mind, what you're dwelling on. Anyway, this professor, one of his studies he wanted to determine, and I'm going to just read this to you. He attempted to determine the impact of a five-minute radio program, just five minutes, five-minute radio program that was filled with negative news stories, you know, just, just negative news stories, accidents and disasters and crimes, and this five minutes was all, all right? One group listened to negative programs like this every day, while there was a control group that listened to more uplifting news and, and that sort of thing. So after he evaluated these listeners who were exposed to the five minutes of bad news, he saw just five minutes, man, five minutes. He was able to discern four effects that it had had on them. One of those effects, they were more depressed than before. Two, they believed the world was a negative place. Three, they were less likely to help others. And four, they began to believe that what they heard would soon happen to them. Do y'all see what's happening here? Just simply by receiving and reflecting on this negative news, it impacted, it affected, it controlled their view of reality, their perception of reality. Five minutes. What would five hours of TV do? What would five hours of Netflix do? Like I said, man, ain't no judgment. I done did the five-hour Netflix, Netflix binge thing too, you know? I used to be into this, uh, this is before y'all were born again, but there was a, a TV series based off a movie, Blade. It's about it's this vampire flick. And, and Blade was like this half-human, half-vampire. And he had somebody that made this serum for him so that he didn't crave human blood. 
in several of the episodes, vampires that he was about to kill or that he was fighting would always, they would, they would say this, the thirst always wins. The thirst always wins. I think there's something to that. I think for you and me, whatever it is that we're thirsty for, man, that's going to win. That's why it's so important that we learn how to manage our cravings, how we, that we learn how to make ourselves hunger and thirst for righteousness. Because Jesus says that's what satisfaction is. That's where it is. I think he probably knows. He probably knows. What this says to me is this. The thoughts that we entertain in our minds, for good or bad, they become the thoughts that lead our lives, that guide our lives in the direction that they're going, right? David said, well, I think it was David that wrote this particular song, Psalm 119. In that, he says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That sounds like a, a very, very pious and religious statement, but I want you to notice what he said. He, he, it was God's word that he hid in his heart, and that changed him so that he didn't sin. Now, we all know David's story. We're going to sin as long as we're on this side of the ground, <laughs> you know. We're, it's just we're not going to get it perfect. But, man, I think, I think this whole righteousness thing is a lot like, you know, with my boys, when, I, when they were little, I still played a lot. So I had a lot of, you know, back then, the shorts were real baggy, real long, you know, and, and the jerseys and whatnot. And because I had dreadlocks, I had all these big old hats that I would wear and stuff my hair up into them. I came home one day, and Michael and John Tay had put on my stuff. They had put on my shorts and a couple of jerseys. They had even tried to put on my shoes, and they were so big. And they were trying to run, and they were falling and everything. I think righteousness is like that. See, the moment you receive Christ, you become holy. God forever sees you as holy. So you got that part down. But those clothes, putting on Christ, those clothes are too big, man, and we stumble and we fall. We got to grow into it. We got to grow into it so that it fits a lot better. And that's what controlling our desires and cravings, thought, us, us causing ourselves. See, it's our thoughts. Our thoughts create these feelings. They create these emotions and all of that. And those emotions and those feelings are what drive our actions. I remember when I was in that little transition time, trying not to do what I knew I wasn't supposed to be doing. And I'd be watching a movie or something, and if it had a scene with a dude and a chick in it, and, you know, they were, they were doing their thing, or about to, or it was suggesting it, it would put that thought in my mind. And then I would start thinking about it. And so for a long time, my struggle with that, I was up and down, up and down, 
up and down because of what I was putting in, what I was allowing. I wasn't putting it in there. I felt like I was just watching a movie. But I allowed that into my mind. And I had not grown to the point yet where I understood how to control these thoughts. See, man, you can't help a thought coming into your mind, right? You really can't. But you can decide whether or not you let that thought build a nest. You know, it's like, it's like a bird, kind of. We got these birds that every year under this part of our house where we got a hot tub, they build a nest there. And it's cool at first till they start crapping everywhere and on everything. So now, when spring comes, we're going to shoo them away. They can't build that nest. We can't let thoughts build nests and crap all over our stuff. <laughs> you know? Yeah, man. So I, I wanted to just, principles is what I wanted to talk to you about tonight. I don't want to tell you how to do it. I'll tell you how I do it. Some things I've done to try and hide God's word in my heart. And what I found that has happened over the years, so for about 25 years now, every day I read one chapter of Proverbs. And this isn't my all of the reading that I do, but it's just kind of like my steady diet. So today's the 16th. I read the 16th chapter of Proverbs. I've read that chapter so much over the years, man. So every month, you're going through the whole book. Every month, every month. That wisdom is getting planted in your heart and in your mind. Before you know it, and it takes time, man, you got to be patient. It takes time. Growth takes time. But before you know it, you'll be faced with situations and those things will come to your mind. Just because they come to your mind don't mean you're going to do it, though, right? You got to make a choice. You got a choice to make at that point. When God's spirit inside you takes what you've put inside yourself, you've given the effort to put inside yourself, his word, he'll bring it to your remembrance and then he'll leave it up to you. The more you show trust in that truth and you do the right thing, the easier it becomes. I'm telling you, man, I'm not no super strong dude when it comes to spiritual matters. I like to read. I like to talk about what I read. And that has made a huge difference for me. A huge difference. Um, let me see, is there anything else I got for y'all? Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. My last encouragement to you is this. Prioritize your inner life over your outer life. We have a pandemic in this country of people wanting to appear to be something that they're really not, especially on social media. Again, not pointing no fingers or judging, I'm just saying, I got teenage kids, so I know. Prioritize your inner life over your outer life. Prioritize inner success over outer success. Prioritize inner beauty over your outer beauty. 
The ironic thing is, is that this is the kind of thing that Jesus encourages us to do. And when we do it, all that stuff becomes magnified. You guys remember the story of the, the, the little boy who, who Jesus had all these people he needed to feed and he had the, the, the fish and the loaves. There's just a few of them, but he was able to feed thousands of people with just that little bit. That's kind of how that works. When you give Jesus what you have, who you are, you give him, he multiplies it. He expands it, makes it bigger than you ever thought was possible. But you got to trust him with all your heart. You got to prioritize being good here rather than appearing to be good out here. You got to prioritize inviting him in. That's success. That's inner success. Getting to know Jesus rather than pointing to outer success. And I think Personally, this is just me speaking. This isn't Bible, but I think personally there is nothing more beautiful than a college student who prioritizes these things and lets, God, lets God's truth change you into who you're really supposed to be. There's a real you inside there. There's a real you. The tragedy is that a lot of us don't even know ourselves yet. We don't, we don't know the real us, let alone people outside of us knowing the real us. That's what Je Jesus wants to know, the real you. He wants to connect with you in that way. He wants to help you to grow into what he envisioned when he allowed you to be conceived. Human flourishing. He wants you to flourish. You will be blessed if you hunger and thirst for righteousness. You will be satisfied. I promise you that. Thanks for listening to the Veritas Mizzou podcast. If you were encouraged by this message, please be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This helps other people find our content so that they can be encouraged too. Most importantly, to get connected to Veritas, check out our weekly meeting on Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. on Mizzou's campus. For specific details about where we meet, how to join a small group, or more information about Veritas, visit us online at veritasmizzou.com. To stay in the loop with what we're up to, follow Veritas Mizzou on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks again for listening.